Welcome, Tailoring Talkers. It's episode 22 of the Tailoring Talk Show with me, your host, Roberto Rivilla. Just a few things to mention before getting you to this week's advertised content. It was my first recording from the workroom after a very long day. It was another transatlantic recording, and so we were using Zoom, which, as regular listeners know, I absolutely hate. I wasn't able to record audio my end, so I had to rely on my guest's audio recording, and I thank her for that. Um, But I do want to apologise for the audio not being up to my usual high standards uh, due to some internet connection issues and actually generally just the internet at our workroom being absolutely crap. Thanks, British Telecom. Um, But I hope it won't take away from the fact that this is an amazing, fun and insightful episode with someone that I've been dying to have on the show for ages. The other thing I wanted to mention is that at the time of recording, I thought this was going to be episode 21, which is why I introduced it as number 21. But due to some additional time involved editing and putting out the Casino Royale episode in between, it's actually episode number 22. Lastly, this is the longest intro to a Tailoring Talk episode to date. I'd never met or spoken to my guest before the recording. Often the conversation takes a few minutes to get going and you eventually find the click. But with this guest, as you'll hear, we hit it off immediately and the conversation just ran away before I realised that I hadn't even given the usual intro. I love conversations like this between two people who've never met before just hitting it off. I won't keep you any longer. On with this week's episode with my guest, Erin Pomper, also known as The Dance Boss. Enjoy. Uh, Firstly, congratulations, by the way. For what? She got married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so happy. Aw. Yeah, thank you. You guys, did everything go according to plan? Yeah, I mean, there was always stuff that's not according to plan, but I had really... I had really good people around me who loved me, who protected me from any drama. Yeah, good. Yeah. That's what your bridesmaids, that's what I try and tell my wedding couples, that that's what your bridesmaids and your best men and groomsmen and, you know, all that kind of stuff are for. Yeah, it was it was crazy. My sister really stepped up and um, I, I told my mom she made me fall in love with her again. Because sometimes I want to kill her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How do you want me to introduce you? Do you want me to use your maiden name or your? Because it's kind my, of still your professional name, right? No, I'm making the switch. So you could just say Aaron Pride, Aaron Pompa, formerly known as Aaron Pride. I'm doing a Prince. I'm gonna totally mispronounce it. Pompa. 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 That's yeah. Cool. Where's your husband from? He's um Italian. He's from here, but his family okay. migrate migrated from Italy. Whereabouts in the states are you? I'm in New Jersey, um, born, raised, okay. and bred. Where are you? I'm in London. I love London. England. I went there. I went there in high school. I love it. I went to Piccadilly Square. I wanted to go back. I got to get my husband to go. I uh, yeah. Well, you mean Piccadilly Circus? Oh well, I thought it was Piccadilly Square. It was like shopping. I was in high school. <laughs> I'm 40, so it was many years ago. <laughs> Shut up! You're not 40. Um, so um, I'm only a few years ahead of you. I'm 44. You look great. Yeah, I'm also terrified because I'm like 
getting closer to 50. Anyway, um, thank you. And so do you. You look amazing. You. you look like 20 years younger. Um, so, um, so yeah, so my workroom is like a 10 minute walk from Piccadilly to Circus just to, so you can orient, orientate yourself like 10 minutes north of Piccadilly Circus. And you I mean, do men's fashion. Life, yeah. Do you have like, I you, need, my, my fiance loves fashion. He got his first tailored suit, custom made suit for the wedding. And now he's getting custom shirts. Like he's all fancy now. You know, once you go custom, you can't go back. Yeah, so he's really, really getting into it. Yeah, he loves it now. He because he lost weight for the wedding, and he like did a fitness competition. Now he's feeling himself, so he has a couple custom shirts, custom pants, custom suit, and now he is like, "This is what I'm gonna be rocking." Yeah, it's it's really difficult, and I see that on guys who, particularly a lot of the weddings I do, because the weddings I do are people who are coming for the first time; they've never had tailored before. And they're doing it for their wedding because it's a special day. They want to look their best and so on. And, and also a lot of guys will moan because they'll be like, then, you know, the amount of money that my wife's, my bride-to-be has spent on her dress, you know, I'm not even spending half of what she spent, but right. uh, I need to treat myself. Um, and I say to them, no, that's not what your motivation should be. Your motivation should be trying to look the very best you can for your better half, right? Yeah. Um, but then once they put, the tailored suit on for the first time there's this look on their face of mixed emotion and it's like oh my god this is the best thing that I've ever put on my body to oh crap like I can't wear the rest of what's in my closet now this is yep. gonna cost a exactly yeah. that's how he That's is and he's and he wants to get like all new clothes so I'm like go ahead do you babe <laughs> awesome um this is also the smartest I've ever been on any podcast record. I'm only 20. I'm way behind you. I'm only 21 episodes in as of now. Yes. But this is, but I, you're the only person I've been dressed up for. You look, I was like, damn, he brought it for me today. You look fly. You look good. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I specifically kind of, you know, it's all burgundy with black today. It looks so good. I love it. In honor of the dance boss. <laughs> um, my intro is going to sound really crap now that we've we've been through all of that. But, you know, it's all good. Um, so I was I was raving about you when I when I had Jason on uh, a little while ago. He's such a nice guy. Good human, right? He, he's just such a great human being. He's, yeah. you know, the type of person that all other humans should just aspire to be like. The world would be such a better place um, if everyone just had a little bit of Jason Yap, really. Yeah. But I was I was very early into that recording, about five minutes in. I kind of introduced him and then I started talking about you. <laughs> and then oh I think that, that's why he connected us. Because he was like, I think Erin and you would get along. Like, would you want her as a guest on your podcast? And I was like, F yeah, I would. Totally, well, like hook us up. I don't well, know I what just, hook us up means in in America to over here. Over here, it means get us connect, in touch with each other. Connect, connect. Yeah, connect. I mean, in in the U.S., it's like hook. Oh, I'm gonna hook up. That's like different. <laughs> but hook us up means like we're gonna connect. Oh my 
God. <laughs> uh, okay, there's going to be a, a lot more of that going on. Um, so I, I'm just going to get my intro up and then we can get into it. So basically, um, my podcast originally started off as being tailoring tech and talk with Roberto Rivera. And it was originally meant to be like a magazine style, 20 minutes of talking about clothing, 20 minutes of talking about technology, because all my clients know me for that, that I'm just a super geek. And uh, whenever a new iPhone or something is launched, I get attacked with messages saying, should I upgrade? What's the difference between this and that? Um, which has also been keeping me busy today, because obviously the new phones went for pre-order today. Um, and the last segment was going to be having a guest on to talk about their story and what it kind of evolved into from episode one was just a conversation podcast mm -hmm. with people about their journeys mm -hmm. and very few episodes have actually been about tailoring okay so uh so yeah so a few episodes ago i changed the name of the podcast and i took the tech bit out and it's just tailoring talk and uh, it's meant to be a kind of double meaning because some episodes are talking about tailoring and most episodes are just me tailoring a conversation. I love that. Well, we could talk about clothing tailoring because my sister taught me you could buy cheap ass clothes from Target. Just get them tailored to fit your body and you'll look expensive. She taught me. Yeah. She taught. Yeah. She told me to tailor everything. Yeah. But girls can get away with that. Guys can't. I think girls... <laughs> There was a there was a there was a girl working at a um, a big accountancy firm consulting firm years ago, and I used to get on really really well with her. And one day we just went out for a coffee, and she really loved to people watch, and she always looked amazing. Like she looked like she dressed couture, mm -hmm. and uh, we were sitting there, and I said to her, I said, "Where do you get your clothes from? Because you always look incredible." And she said, she laughed, and she said. Uh, uh, she said, oh, most of my outfits are from Primark. I don't know if you guys have Primark <laughs> over there. It's like, um, where's that place in New York where they, they they have the big bargain bins and stuff and you can uh -huh. go in and like buy suits and things like that. I remember a few girlfriends of mine from New York took me in the place and everybody was just fighting each other over stuff. Like I can even look, like I picked up a pair of... Um, a pair of pants and I was kind of just looking at it to see if it's something that I might want to buy. And someone just came right across and just snatched it off me. It was like, you guys have a lot of those. They're called warehouse sales, I think. Oh yeah. Like warehouse sales. I haven't really ever gone to any though. I can't like, I feel like people will beat you up. They do that for wedding dresses too. Like where you can go for a discount. And I'm just like, I don't know if I have the energy. Basically we have a store here called Primark and there the clothing is cheap as chips basically mm -hmm. um i've never actually walked into one for obvious reasons um but it's super popular um but the clothing is dirt cheap and it's it's all the the, the reason why i'm against it at the end of the day there has to be something to fit you know people at different mm -hmm. income levels and so on and i totally get that but this is the kind of really cheap throwaway fashion that is has become really popular with influencers nowadays mm. um, because they'll go buy stuff. They'll go stand outside somewhere fancy in Notting Hill or whatever and have it photographed and then it will get chucked in the bin and then they'll oh. go buy a whole load of new stuff, right? So it's created this 
sustainability issue. Fast fashion. That's what my nephew calls it because he designs T-shirts and he's like, you're going to Zara. That's fast fashion, Aaron. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's it. So um, I can't remember what the point was. Oh, yeah. So she was saying that all her clothes came from Primark. And what she used to do is actually just get a friend of hers to tailor things so they fit. And uh, and then she would just accessorize with mm-hmm. expensive stuff. Like, you you know, she had a, an LV bag that an ex-boyfriend mm-hmm. had bought her, earrings, all that kind of stuff. See, so my point is, is that women can get away with that. Guys can't because we don't have as much stuff we can put with things. Guys' clothing, if it's cheap, it looks cheap. I agree with we, you. And I, I, no, you're totally right. Like, I always, like, mix, like, designer shoes or handbags with a cheap-ass shirt or nice jeans with something cheap. Like, and my husband can't do that. Like, he's like, no, my clothes have to be higher end to fit and look nice. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Anyway, we should get on to talking about you. So I'm going to introduce you now. Okay. Since we've already started the podcast. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to... We have started. Um, and this is what it should be like. It's just a conversation between two friends. I'm a bespoke tailor, menswear designer, and owner of Roberto Rivilla London Suit and Shirt Makers. This is the show where you join me to spend time with creators and entrepreneurs. Some episodes, there's some tailoring talk, but in most, it's more about me delving into my guest journey. They share the highs and lows along their path to success and some of the valuable lessons they've learned along the way. My guest today is someone I have been so excited to hang out with ever since I first mentioned her back in episode 14, which regular listeners will recall was with Jason Yap, my dance producer friend from Slovakia and host of the amazing Background Dancer podcast. She is the host of the Dance Boss podcast, so there's a theme here, a show for dancer entrepreneurs who are on a mission to share their dance expertise in the online space. She is also a former pro dancer. She's got, um, do you know what? I'm going to let her tell her story. Erin, <laughs> Pride, now Pompa, because you got married a few weeks ago. How are you, my friend? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. I'm even more excited because you're just cool. We was just cutting it. We were just chilling, right? It's just so yeah. nice to connect with down to earth people. So thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. So yeah, so we I kind of mentioned it before. Depending on how this gets shaken out in the edit, I'll you know anyway, whatever. Listeners know that it's chaos when you come into the tailoring talk booth. Um, but few first that I need to. So episode twenty one. Outside of my wife, who has been on the podcast a few episodes ago to talk about one of our rescue dogs, you are my first official female guest. Oh my gosh, that's like an honor. And I'm like nervous now. All right. All right. I'm ready. Yeah, exactly. So, and it's not because I haven't asked anyone else. One of my female friends told me, I said, I have tried because she said to me, you need to get women on. What the hell's going on? It's just guys, 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 guys. I'm like, I want to. And I have asked quite a few that I know. And they've said yes, but getting them to commit is the real problem. And I didn't really think that was a female feature. And uh, she was like, we're crap at that kind of thing. I mean, no wonder you're having so much, so many problems. So 
I, I was even stoked that you said yes, and then actually it went into the calendar. So anyway, so that's 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 the first. So so well done. Uh, I'll ship your award over. Uh, another first is this is the first time we are recording from the Roberto Revilla London workroom here in Tottenham Court Road in London. I've never recorded here. All my recordings have been at home. And the other reason I'm really excited about that is this is going to be the first episode. We do not have my dogs barking in the background <laughs> or my next-door neighbor drilling something or the guy two down, doors down the road smashing a wall or something because he's doing building work. It's just absolute chaos over there. So first time in the workroom. So Erin gets to see it. I'll take you on. A, do you want a little tour? When we yes, finish? yes, okay, yes. Cool. It's a freaking mess. It's nothing special. It's a workroom. Anyway. Um, and you might hear is. my dog. We might hear chaos. My dog is right here and it, she might go crazy at any moment. Oh, my God. I love that you called your dog chaos. Yeah, she's crazy. I love her. Yeah. But is that did you find the name after you'd had her for a little while? Oh, no, that's not you... her. That's not her name. That's what I call her. She's just chaotic. But her name is Chloe. Oh, <laughs> oh her name's Chloe. Oh, great. So you yeah, you're same as me. Right. So our animals, we have two cats, two dogs. So we have Bailey, who's a working cocker. We have Emily, who's a cavachon. Mm. And then we have a Bengal cat who's a psychopath called Jesse. And then we have Frankie. But when um, when when I'm talking about them, people think I'm talking about human children. Do you ever get right. that with Chloe? Yes. Yeah. yeah, Chloe is my baby. Like, I don't know what people are talking about. This is my baby right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally with you. Uh, what breed is she? She's a mutt. She's like a multi-poodle pug. Yeah. A, multi, a Maltese poodle crossed with a pug. That's multi, really interesting. Multi-poo pug. A multi-poo pug. That sounds like something that you should have done in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, yeah. So anyway, so I'm kind of stoked that I, I miss them, but I'm really glad they're not running around because you know what it's like with cats as well. It's like the dogs are barking and then you manage to get them to shut up and then some cat will come and stick its ass right in the in the camera at my guest and all that's happened before. It's, it's just crazy. And then the other first that's happening today is I'm actually dressed properly for once with a, with a shirt, tie, sport coat casual jacket we call it over here um so, you look you know, great probably. you look great i was like Thanks. oh my gosh he looks like dapper and he's coming on an inter- like a podcast like, i'm on uh i'm on uh we need to start youtubing these eventually um but i'm you know i'm on with the dance boss so when jason and i were talking about dance dancer i still can't pronounce it after all this time dance dancerpreneurship is yes. that right Yes. Um, which I, you know, it really struck a chord with me because I make clothes for, for a few dancers. Um, so, you know, you have Dancing with the Stars over in. Yes, yes, yes. And we have, and it's Strictly Come Dancing over here. Oh. But it's the same show. Oh, and you make clothes? For, for, yeah, for a couple of the dancers on Strictly. That's amazing. The, yeah. Uh, it's all private stuff. I don't get to do it for the actual show because the truth is the BBC are cheap skates okay. and they just recycle the same costumes every every year. And they have their own in-house kind of costume team that does all of that stuff and so on. But I work privately for, for, some of, for, for some of those people. You know, some of them are a little bit older now. Some of them are in their, you know, one of them has just turned 40, I think. Or maybe, no, he's just turned 42, Robin Windsor. And you... 
you kind of don't think um, about what it's like for performers who are doing something as physically intense as dance when they get into later years. You know, I think the dancers that have managed to sustain a career into older age are very few and far between. And then there's obviously a horde of performers in the industry who don't make it. Or maybe their careers aren't that long. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, what do they do afterwards? And they've obviously, in a lot of cases, maybe never had the training at school, college, dance academy, whatever, um, to actually sustain themselves when the lights turn off and the stage is no longer their home. Um, so so it really, it really, really did strike a chord with me. And And the other thing with... Jason's podcast but yours particularly as well I listen to it as someone who runs my own business and I am an entrepreneur um there is so much that I take from every episode the dance boss podcast you can download it everywhere you like to get your shows I highly recommend you check it out especially if you are someone who is interested in starting your own business or is already running your own business, because there is something every single episode that every entrepreneur can take. And I have to commend you for that. Because although it's dance focused, there's something there for everybody. It's universal. And thank you. So I I actually, I'm so lucky that I I feel privileged. I get you in front of me to say thank you, but there is so much you have taught me in a short space of time. Well, Robert, I want to thank you. First of all, like, who the hell am I? I was a person who was a dancer, then a dance educator, and I was burnt out with my career. And I never thought there would be a time where I didn't want to perform or pursue performing. Like, I didn't know that 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 was going to happen. So starting the Dance Boss podcast was just me trying to fill my the hole in my heart from not being able or not wanting to pursue performance anymore. So to hear that it has impacted you or other people like that really touches my heart because sometimes I'm like, who the hell am I? But then we're all somebody and we all have an imprint to make on this world. So that just makes me so happy. Thank you. A friend, old friend of mine, he's out in um, Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, she, uh, she did an Instagram story uh, a little while ago that I actually saved. And uh, she talks about the fact that you should never be afraid to speak out because there are people out there that need, there'll at least be one person even, even if not an entire audience that needs you. So you should never, you should never be afraid to shine your light, you know, don't hide something like that. She said it much better than I've just said it. I just did a really shit job of that. But that that really, really got me in. So and that stayed with me. So I've I'm trying to be better at making sure that I'm speaking out and also mm-hmm. showing up for things like this podcast and so on. Because you just don't know who you're gonna who you're gonna help, right? And when it's scary, like what your friend said, when you feel like you have that charge in your life, then it's like, oh, okay, I'm about to share my experience, my strength and my hope. And like there's this layer of vulnerability that that is really frightening. But then you start to see that by you being vulnerable and sharing your journey, you start to see that it's affecting other people and it gives you more courage. Like I speak out about things that I never thought in a million years I would be so open about. And it's like, Mm. it's not only therapeutic for me to be able to own my truth in such a way, but it's therapeutic to see that my truth can help people work through their challenges. 
Yeah. I don't know if you've started it as a, as a series, but um, you started to talk about um, some things that were obviously very, very personal to you. And I'm not sure you'd ever spoken out about them before. But there was one episode where you started to talk about your time at college. Um, college for us is when you're between the ages of 16 to 18. I think college in America is when you're a bit older, right? That's when yeah, you do so what degree. It, wait, so what is after 18 called? University. Oh, so what is high school for <laughs> you guys? What's high school? High school is high school, but you go to high school between the ages of 11 and 16. So for oh. us, it's you go to high, you go to primary school, they, you, infant school, and then when you're seven, you go to primary school, and then when you're eleven, you go to secondary school or high school, and then when you're sixteen, you go to college, and then when you're eighteen, you go to university, and then so, when you're twenty-one, twenty-two, you've got your degree, and then you're screwed for the rest of right. your life. So wait, real quick question. When you are in the 16-year-old yeah. age and you're going to college, is it live away an option or no? That's not no. until you hit university. No, university is where everybody goes batshit crazy over here and starts getting drunk and, you know, yeah. promiscuous. Yeah. 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 Just like my yeah. story I, that you're about to share that I shared on my podcast, basically, about yeah, myself. exactly. Yeah. But see, what I identified, the big identifying moment for me was that I you know i kind of felt some of the same things you did because you talked about identity that was the key message there and um i really really struggled with identity when i was growing up i mean kind of i was i was trying to fit in to so many different groups and in the end i actually ended up fitting in nowhere and when i look back on that time i see just a lonely teenager who just didn't know where the hell he was going in life um and maybe it's something, I mean, I've been inspired to start at least thinking about talking out about it a bit more. Does that still affect you in terms, because you're very, very driven, right? Mm -hmm. um, how much of what you went through in those formative years is still steering things that you're doing today? Well, it all steers what I do today, but now it steers it from a, 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 heal, a, heal, a healing place. Like there's so many layers to my, my journey that I, I just have to get more comfortable sharing. But if I didn't go through those things, that identity, that destructive behavior, and I didn't go on a journey to heal it, I wouldn't be able to do the work that I do now. All of the work that I do now is kind of cata catapulted from that time of my life only because I went on a healing journey or was gifted a healing journey. Um, so, you know, now it's like the imprint. So everything that I do is a reflection of that. And the way that I show up and why I'm so power, like clear and, and like want to share my message is because I want people to know, like, I'm a human being, there's humans out there because on social media and in life, people walk around with facade, making them seem like their childhood and everything was perfect. And that's bullshit. Like, you know, I just yeah. don't want to be one of those people. And I don't want to share that kind of message. That's the social media conversation is a whole other thing as well. I mean, I've, I've, been, I've started following you on Instagram and so on. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm try as much as possible to be as raw as I can when I post um, and try not to kind of fluff things up and so on. Cause you're right. You do see so much bullshit on there. Right. And so most much. people, I, I would, most people that are scrolling through social media 
I don't know if they're trying to feel better about themselves or what, but I mean, most social media makes you feel worse about yourself, I think. It does. And I don't like to follow people unless like, like, first of all, like I think early on in my stages of business, especially being a a marketing person for social media, I had to figure out like, okay, I want to be vulnerable, but I don't want to tell everybody my business because that's not for everybody Mm. to know. So what is that balance? But when I'm looking for people to follow, I look for people who, who balance it, like can share about real things that are going on in their life that is not perfect, but also show us how to use that story to, to heal our own part. So that's what I look for. I really don't, I'm not into the perfect life, the perfect body, the perfect kids, that perfect, I can't stand it. Yeah. It's, it's about value, right? What value is this person I'm following actually bringing to my life and to, to everybody else? Because mm-hmm. um, there's only so many pouting selfies that one can take. Let's go back to, so you're, because you've got a, um, I don't know what the qualification's called out there, but you've got the equivalent of like a master's or something in dance education, or is it called yeah. a master's over there? Yep, okay. it's a master's. Yeah, I have my master's yeah. in dance ed. Um, I got it from NYU. I value it. It helped me in so many capacities, but it doesn't really, that's not what I do now. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's, it's totally like. Not what you right like and it over here i don't know about over there but i i paid a pretty penny for that master's degree like so it's just interesting like if i could do it all over again i wouldn't necessarily go for my master's but i understand that it was a part of my journey and it helps today in some form yeah but when you when you finished your master's were you actually performing my performance career is weird like i wasn't in this like for for a long time i like was ashamed of it so I'm 40 now. I didn't get a big company or my dream company until I was 34 years old. Like, so like most people get those kind of performance opportunities in their twenties. It just wasn't happening for me. Like it wasn't Mm -hmm. like at all. So when I was 34, I auditioned for a company named Palabalus. I love them and I got it, but I didn't get it directly. Like they, they cut me on the last day. And then I was, I sent them an email and was like, I love you. Just thank you for the experience. And they were like, we loved you too. Come train with us over the summer for free. And then they gave me a job. So I was getting my master's simultaneously with that and simultaneously while working at the performing arts high school. My job is really cool in the fact that they respect artists and they let us take, use our days to pursue professional endeavors. And how long did that last for until you then decided this isn't fulfilling me anymore? I need to go do something else. Performing or teaching or both? Both. Okay. (laughs) Well, performing, like I was on tour and these girls were like 20 and I was just like not feeling it. I was like, I fucking hate this. I don't want to, I don't want to live in a hotel like this. I was just not in the. I saw a post today that said Michael Jackson loved performing, but he didn't love touring. I didn't know that about him. And I thought something was wrong with me. I love performing, but I don't like touring and traveling and being away from home for an extended period of time. So I did like three shows with them. And if I'm going to be completely honest, the third show, I gained so much weight. I think they weren't going to hire me back anyway, because aesthetically I didn't, I no longer fit the mold of what they needed. And that's a truth. That's a truth. Um, And teaching, funny enough, I still teach. This is going to be my last year there. Um, I no longer want to do it. And I've been doing it for 16 years. I've been running a high school dance program. And there was a lot of guilt that came along with that, especially by my family and my peers around me. They're like, Erin, 
you have a great job. Like you can be an administrator. You can be a principal. Like you're going to hit your financial bubble there. And then one day I was just like, I don't want to do this. I can't, I don't want to show up anymore. And I feel so guilty because I love these kids, but I just don't want to do the work anymore. So this, my husband, you know, I'm married now. So it's not like I get to decide everything. I got to talk to my husband. So we had to talk (laughs) about it and we're like, you know, because of the health insurance and everything and trying to plan a baby, it would make most sense to get pregnant. And while I'm working there so that the health insurance can support us, because it's really expensive if I try to do it without that. I forgot you guys don't have the kind of healthcare system that we do over here. No. I mean, we might not have it for much longer because, you know, the, they're trying to kind of slice bits of it off and privatize it and so on. But I'm not going to get too much into politics now. You guys have just been through a whole load of shit over there. I know. Um, we're, you know, it's continuing over here. They're part of the same team, basically. So we might not have it for much longer. But no, obviously you've got it. Life is so short. If you're stuck doing something that you absolutely hate, why stick at it? Someone mm-hmm. asked me today because they were asking me how long I've been doing this for. And I, I didn't realize this month is our 10th anniversary, is Roberto Rivilla London's 10th anniversary. Wow. It's our 10th birthday this month. It doesn't feel like it because of COVID, because we were shut for most of last year, wondering whether we were going to have a business or not. Next September, I'll have been doing it. That'll be my 20th year in the trade. Wow. And you feel full still. You, uh, I just hesitated, see? Um, <laughs> I'm I'm at that stage where I do kind of wonder. I don't hate what I do. Um, let me try and explain this. I love it when my guest turns it around on me and puts me on the spot. It's great. Um, <laughs> but this is a real honest moment here, right? This isn't scripted or anything. I had no idea you were going to ask me that. No idea I'll start talking about our anniversary either. But there we go. Um, I. In the moment, I love what I do. Mm -hmm. When I'm with either a client or a potential client, in that moment, the moment they walk into the workroom, I walk in their office or I walk into their home, it's like the stage lights go on. Mm -hmm. And I'm able to perform. And also I want to find out about them and see how I can help them and then do the best possible job that I can for them but as soon as that meeting appointment is over my mood just drops like Mm. I I feel so Jekyll and Hyde at the moment it's very hard to explain and I'll be honest this is the first time that I've ever um, got these thoughts and feelings out loud to anybody um, so thanks for asking that question. No, but and I, that's kind of what it's like for me at the moment. I can identify with it. Right. I don't, I'm not in your situation, but that in, inner transition happening, even if it's only a little bit, like you feel it and it's like, Oh shit, I have to like eventually pay attention to this. And then what does that mean for me? So I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah. I think COVID has had an effect because not just me, but a lot of people saying what they're what I'm, what I'm doing right now is it really what I want to be doing? Because you're suddenly spending a lot of time at home. In our situation, we had no income for long periods through the last eighteen months, mm-hmm. 
and you're spending a lot of time with this other person who, you know, there's only there's only so much variety you can bring into every day when you're in lockdown for weeks and months on end, right? Exactly. So, um, you know, thank God for us, we got the pets because otherwise we'd be completely screwed. Um, and, you know, you start wondering, you know, what are you going to do if this is the end for this thing that you've built for so long? You, you've just put your entire life, heart and soul into and this pandemic's just come along and potentially just put the whole lot in the trash. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you start worrying about a lot of shit, right? And even though now the last six months has been kind to us and, and this month particularly has been super busy, I'm so grateful, there's still that doubt at the back of my mind and I'm still wondering if I should be 100% focused on this or whether I need to be 80% focused on this and 20% focused on a plan B Um, and then it's what is that plan B Um, but then I'm I'm but then I'm so conflicted because I'm the kind of person I get the feeling that you might be like this as well but correct me if I'm wrong if we were up in a helicopter or an airplane and then you were like Hey, Bobby, do you fancy just jumping out of this thing? I'd be like, yeah, that sounds a great idea. And then I'll just jump. And I'll kind oh. of figure out the logistics of, oh, shit, I don't have a parachute, all that kind of stuff later, right? Yeah, yeah I'm totally like that. Every- I'm yeah. totally like that, except like I, I wouldn't jump out of an airplane because I'm terrified of heights, but I'm the type of person who would be like, I, I'd be like, yes, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. Like, okay, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Well, no, I just think it's just like the pandemic gave us so much time. And I think especially creatives, and I consider you a creative, you're an artist. Like, no. w- what is our purpose here? And it makes us think about it on a deeper level. And then it also made us like kind of the slowdown, I feel like for me, made me tap into what maybe wasn't working in my life. And it's scary. And that's what made me decide to like go ham on my business because Right now in this season of my life, and I can't guarantee that it'll be forever, this lights me up to wake up and do every day. You know, teaching doesn't anymore. And so I'm in the season where I'm like, how do I show up fully with integrity in a job that I don't want to do until the time comes when I don't have to do it? That is my lesson of the season right now, because I could show up and be half-assed. But I know deep down inside that's not morally right. And it's not going to feel good when I lay my head on my pillow. So the hard work for me right now is not actually growing my business. It's actually showing up and doing a job that I don't want to do. I'm, I'm definitely in that transitional phase. I think you hit the nail right on the head there because we had a way of doing things pre-pandemic. And then we had almost like a, hi- a, a forced hiatus. And now we've kind of come back and the clients who've been the most aged during that time are actually probably fit more the client profile that we want. You talked about this kind of thing on a recent episode. And um, now I've got to go through the process of sort of um, cutting people off is basically the brutal way to say it. Well, I'm in that process too. It's hard, but it's like, I don't know. Like it was hard the first few times I had to do it because like for the online business, I have program qualifiers. And when I started my online business, I used to take everyone. And now I take them through a series of qualification questions. And if they don't fit, I let them go. But I 
am more satisfied with that way of working now because the, the overall experience of working with them is so much better. When I'm working with somebody who doesn't fit my client profile, it is like pulling teeth and it's such an unbearable experience. And I don't want to go through that anymore. I just want yeah. people that, I, that fit my client profile. Absolutely. So I'm going through the process of um, identifying who my favorite clients are to work with and building up a profile of those people, problems that I solve for them, like they have in their daily lives that I help to make things easier for. What is it that they appreciate the most about us and so on? So once I've got that client profile, I think got all the criteria for my perfect client. So I've then got the checklist for so anyone who's coming in saying, hey, can you make close to me or whatever? Then I can start. That's and then need to work out is basically how I then find out and drill down with them how you, know, how you qualify them. So yeah, but like I say, I'm just starting to work that stuff out. So, um, so you know, I'll check back within a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, Once I want to know how it goes. You know yeah, thanks. Um, the one thing I am doing though is that, like you can see these filing cabinets behind me. Yes. So that's full of client files. So another thing that I'm doing is when I'm getting someone else's file out, I've come across like someone's file there, and I'll just be like, like I'll grimace. I'll be like, huh? And then I, if I do that at that name, I know it's someone I shouldn't be working with. So I'm, I'm, I'm I've just ordered a shredder for the workroom. <laughs> And that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to be brutal with it. I'm just like, right, okay, bye. Off you go. You're Maria. Do you know Maria Kondo? She's like, she has a Netflix series about. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're I'm, Maria Kondo. I'm going to Kondo the shit out of my clients. Yes, you're like, does it feel, does it make me feel full? Does it serve me? Because I think, yeah. look, my, most of our clients are great. You know, they're really great people and they're super successful, but they're really nice with it. And they have a level of appreciation for the work we do for them. But then you do have a small percentage. And I think you have that in any industry that you're in where, you know, their attitude is, I don't need to be nice to you. I'm paying you for, for what you're doing for me. Well, that's true. I totally accept that. But there's also something called a minimum level of respect. And if I'm not getting even a minimal level of respect, then you can go fuck yourself. I'm not, I don't want to work for you because I'm going to It's like being a good human. Like some people are missing that microchip in their body. And it's like, I don't want to serve you. And for me, it's like, I don't want to serve people who don't want to do the work. What I have found is there's tons of people who want to invest because they want to say I'm doing it, but they don't actually want to do the work to make it come to life. And I just don't have time for that. Like, I'm not that type of person. And I only want to hold space for people who are ready to implement and do the work. Yeah. Speaking of which, let's actually tell everybody what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, yeah, like this conversation is going. I love it. It's great, right? Um, So, Dance Boss University. No. So that was my first business a long time ago, a long time ago. Don't worry. Don't worry. So yeah, I could speak to this. When I first came into the online space, I was coaching dance educators on how to run better classrooms because I have my master's in dance education because I work in a K through 12 setting. I understand pedagogy, lesson planning curriculum. So that was Dance Boss University. When the pandemic hit, like you, I sat 
on the phone with my coach and I was like, I fucking hate talking about dance education. I'm over dance education. She's like, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to help dancers create online businesses. She's like, then do it. And that is how I got into the work that I do now. And it's called, um, what I do is Dancepreneur Academy. It's a six month group coaching program. Is there a weird sound? No. Okay. Maybe it's just me. Okay. <laughs> so, as long as it's not recording, I have um, Dancepreneur Academy, which is a six month group coaching program, which teaches dance specialists. Now, this is the gray area. Dancers often want to say like, oh, I teach dance. I teach ballet. I teach modern. I teach jazz. And in the online space, that doesn't translate. You need to really hone in on one thing and become a specialist. So maybe that means you're a specialist with helping dancers improve their technique through strength training, whatever that means for you. So I help dance specialists bring in consistent 5K months through a group virtual training program. And that's what I do. And I love it. Which then leads on to then breaking down your client base and working out who you want to work with. So when you start, everybody's, you get a whole load of people signing up to courses, but then they sign up, but then they're not putting in that's needed. They think that you're just a magic bullet that's going to solve all their problems and suddenly bring them a 60K a year income. Mm -mm. Right? Yeah. No, right. They do. So that's why I have program qualifiers. Number one, do you have an area of dance specialties that you either learn through education or personal experience? Period. If you don't have that, then I can't work with you. Number two, like, do you understand your financial goal trajectory? Like, do you understand? And if you don't understand, are you willing to get to a place to understand? Because too many people are like, um, I just want to create this. No, like, we need to figure out how much you want to make. And then the other thing is, do you have three to five hours a week to do the work? Like, if you don't, then it's not for you. My guarantee is insane. I'm like, in six months, you're going to make all your money back that you invest. And if you don't, I'll coach you for free. But you got to do every mm -hmm. single. But you got to do every single assignment that I give you the way I give it to you and implement the corrections. Yeah, not quite the same. But you want the tailoring version? Yeah. Okay, I want you to dress me. Okay, fine. And uh, but I'm going to lose weight first because I'm. I need to lose a few pounds, right? <laughs> if I had a cent for every time someone has said that to me over my whole career. I would be I, I would be building SpaceX rockets and trying to launch some fucker up into the atmosphere. So my 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 next question, so my question back is, okay, great. So you want to lose some weight and you want me to make you clothes, but you don't want me to make you clothes until you've lost the weight. So what's your plan for losing the weight? Well, I'm going to go on a diet, okay. And what does that look like? Well, I'm I'm going to just kind of find out what diets are kind of working for people at the moment. No. It's not what's working for other people. What are you going to do that's going to work for you? Right. Right. What's the time frame? You know, have you put, what's your, what, what's your goal weight? What do you want to get down to? How much weight mm -hmm. do you think you're going to be able to lose every month or every week or whatever? What kind of foods are you going to cut out? What are you eating now that mm -hmm. you know is contributing to your problem? It's all centered around weight. It's never anything else with guys, by the way. Um, really? And Yeah. And most of the time, they don't know the answers to these questions because they've never even thought about it. You want to get from A to B. Dude, you need a map. You need an itinerary. We need to work this shit out. And so I do coach some clients, actually, which I don't charge them for. I probably should. Um, 
but but it, again, it's exactly what you said. They've got to be willing to put the work in. You know, if I'm mm-hmm. if I'm helping them and working alongside them, whether it's the weight loss thing, and I'm not a qualified doctor, but I went on my own journey a little while ago. I was about 12 kilos, which in pounds is maybe 24 to 30 pounds overweight. And I had to do something about it. The, the story is, is that a few Christmases ago, I found one of those memory stick things from a holiday that we went to in, it was, I think it was Thailand. And uh, it was in a drawer and I was like, what the hell's on this? So I plug it into the computer and I look and it's like, oh, babe, look, it's all the photos from our trip to Thailand. And she's like, oh, well, cool. Let's look through them. And so I see this picture of her hugging some guy who's got huge breasts and all the rest of it. And I'm, I'm thinking, who the fuck is she with? And I'm like, that's me. I didn't even recognize myself. And I said to her, babe, why didn't you tell me that I got so big? And she said, well, I kind of wanted to, but I didn't want to hurt your feelings. But yeah, you, you are kind mm-hmm. of disgusting now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, really? Oh, my God. I think I didn't realize it. I mean, obviously I knew, but I didn't realize it as much because, you know, the way that I dress, the way I tailor yeah. clothes is all designed to flatter, right? And you always get people telling you how good you look. And so I thought I've got to do something really. So, you know, your wife telling you that you look disgusting is pretty hard to take, you know? So, um, so I was like, right, I need to lose 26 to 30 pounds and I'm going to do it in the next year. So what I did is I basically um, started to identify what foods were in the house that correlated with my weight going up so what were the you know so so i realized when there was a lot of chocolate in the house my weight went up you know when we bought certain you know cakes and biscuits and shit every time i drank tea or coffee there were biscuits and cakes and stuff involved so i was like i need to make it manageable sustainable so i was like i'm going to pick three things and I'm going to stick at those three things for a month. And then after a month, I'm going to add something else on. And then I'm just going to keep building it up until I've changed my lifestyle. And so the first month I gave up caffeine because by giving up caffeine, it meant I wasn't drinking tea. I wasn't drinking coffee. And therefore, I was actually cutting out a whole other junk food group of biscuits, mm-hmm. cakes, and so on. Because I only really had those things when I was drinking tea and coffee. So that went out the window. I was like red meat only twice a week maximum. So that cut out a lot of the things that were associated with red meat, like fries and chips and potatoes and mm-hmm. basically anything you can make with a potato. Um, and then there was a third thing and I can't remember right now what it was, but anyway, so I stuck at that for a month and because it was just those things, Oh, that was the other thing. I was like, I'm not going to drink anything unless it's water. So that meant alcohol went and soft drinks and juices and stuff i was only drinking water it was so boring um and so i did that for a month and the other change that i made was on the physical front when i'm a road cyclist now um but what i was doing previously is before i would go on a long ride i would stuff my face in the morning and Mm -hmm. what i worked out and i wasn't losing weight i was going the opposite direction so what i worked out is my body basically it's like 100, you know, 60, 70 mile rise. All my body was doing was saying, we need energy from somewhere. I know, we'll just use all that food he just shoved mm-hmm. down his gullet like half an hour ago. So I started riding fasted so that my body would start eating away at the reserves of energy that were already there. And um, within 12 weeks, I'd lost the weight. 
That's amazing. Well, what I'm hearing and what I just actually went on live on my Instagram and talked about is like people like there's the thing that you want and there's the destination you want to get to. And people usually don't do shit to figure out what that middle space is, whether it's a roadmap, whether it's a plan. Right. And I feel like people fall off because they lack education and they lack implementation. Like you got educated on what worked for you. Those clients that, you know, fall off for you, like they don't even take the time. They just want, they want the result. That's it. So many people want the freaking result without getting educated and without implementing the work. Um, I think that's beautiful that you did that. I actually lost 28 pounds in six months for my wedding and I'm trying, and I've been keeping it off and I'm going to continue to try, you know, but our, me and you's pathway was different to lose the weight, but the thing we have in common is we got educated on the right way to do it. And then we took the action. So people don't even want to do that. They want to just say, this is what I want. And this is, this is, I'm going to get it, but they don't have a plan. Yeah. And that's the point here for everybody listening is what we're actually talking about here is goal setting, right? So whether you're someone who's applied for Erin's course um, and she's asking you to put the work in and make sure that you can do the things that you need to do to commit is because she's trying to help you to get to that destination, which is your income goal, career mm-hmm. goal, whatever. Um, you know, what I was talking about there with weight loss, again, it was I had a destination I needed to get to, but I needed to figure out the work that I needed to put in in order to get there. And, you know, whatever it is that you're looking to try and achieve in life, you've got to educate yourself and work out what it is that you need to do to get there. And if you don't do that and you're not willing to put the time and effort in to work all that stuff out and build yourself that roadmap and then go on that journey, you're going to be sitting there in 10 years' time and you're going to be the person that's like, what happened? Mm-hmm. I remember one of my old CEOs, he's like, you don't want to be the person who in 10 years' time wakes up in the morning and goes, what the hell happened? You want to be the person that wakes up in 10 years' time and is like, what happened? Let me tell you what happened. Because this is what I've done. Exactly. Well, when I entered the online space, I started looking around me and and I heard a lot of things about, oh, and I don't necessarily think all of it's true, but some of it is like in two years, I went from this to this in four years, I went to this to this. And when I started to think about it, I was like, huh, people are having growth spurts. What's not helping me have a growth spurt in my business? One, some of those people are naturally smarter than me. Okay, that's fine. I can, I can handle that. Two, Some of those people past history prepared them for the business they started, whether if they came from an entrepreneurial background, whether they came from, I don't know, had family who was in finances, they got it. Right. So then I started to think, okay, if I want a growth spurt in my business, like the only thing standing in the way is me. Like, that's it. Like, so I have to get around people that are smarter than me in the room and who have what I want. So that is really how I transformed my business. I started investing in myself and doing the work that I was learning from the investments that I was making. But what's the problem is so many people already think they know everything. Or pe- So there's two. People think they know everything, and then people are scared to invest because they don't see a guarantee in the return on investment. So that is usually why I feel like they're cut off from getting the result that they want. How to keep up... Um with all the things that you need to do for your courses, what, what, what are you doing now in terms of um, self-education and, you know, all of that kind of stuff? Because, you know, that everything that you have to deal with, social media and so on, it's changing so much all the mm-hmm. time. So mm-hmm. how are you keeping up with all of that stuff? Well, the number one thing is like, so there's like, I'm a business coach for dancers. There's so many types of business coaches. So I 
I had to really identify what area do I want to be a master at? And for me, that is Instagram marketing and sales. So what do I do? I invest in coaches that specialize in Instagram marketing and sales so that I can become a genius. I don't copy their strategies. I, I learn from them, embody their strategies, and then make it my own. I just got a coach who was $15,000 for the year, like me. That's scary. But the mm-hmm. amount of knowledge and the amount of just education I'm getting of being in a room with people who invest at that caliber is pushing me to be a business, a better business owner. So those are the kinds of things that I do. You know, I read so much. My library is ridiculously extensive, but um, you know, even it's so easy to get yourself caught in current reality all the time. Um, how do you, how do you create space for yourself? Um, not just to be able to take care of other things in your personal life, but, but, but to be able to step back from your business and kind of reset and, you know, take care of yourself mm-hmm. because it's really, really easy to forget to do that. No, that's me too. Well, number one, I don't have kids. I can't speak from a woman who has kids, right? I don't understand that. Like, I'm sure when I have kids, my answer will change. But I start like the weight loss journey. I started working out. So if that means that I go for a walk or go to the gym, I, I do that. That's a good way for me to step away. I like to go go window shopping or go shopping, whichever that <laughs> whichever happens on that given day. I like to spend time with my family, but it's something that I have to force myself to do because I'm a natural workaholic. I'm a natural person who loves to achieve and do. So it's like, I have to, I have to force myself to undo those things. So it's like, Mm. when I'm done with this podcast, I'm going to go, go spend time with my family. My husband and I are going to have a date night on Saturday. I'm going to go to the gym tomorrow. Like those kind of things have to be built into my life or I will totally just give all my time to my business. I've, I've started to time block in my calendar now, mm-hmm. like everything, everything. A, a while ago, I made a list of things that have to be achieved every single day. So like I have to, um, obviously get to the workroom. Uh, there are, there's a lot of shit that needs doing over here every single day. Um, I have to see clients and work with them and I have to get home and I have to walk my dogs like without fail over lunchtime. Um, and then I have to call people back and then I have to create patterns and create clothing at some point. And, uh, I need to spend time with my, my wife and I need to exercise every single day. So what I do is I, I've kind of, assigned time blocks to all those things on the list and then like a jigsaw puzzle i make sure that they all fit into every single day and so all i'm doing is i'm just going from one appointment to the next it just might be that i'm going from client to client to some other supplier meeting to Mm -hmm. my dogs Mm -hmm. to pullbacks to get on my cycle and get out for an hour to right next thing is to go do the grocery shopping and cook but everything is scheduled that's how i that's the only way i've managed to actually commit as much as i am able to now nowadays if i just kind of you know sort of kind of had that affirmation in the morning i'm going to do this this and that today, but it wasn't actually scheduled none of it would get done Yeah, I agree with you. Like I have my set things and something else that really helps me is like 
um, bookending my day. I have a morning spiritual practice where I read and I meditate and I pray and I, and I bookend it with a night spiritual practice. So those things are not compromisable for me. And like you said, I have my things that are like jigsaw puzzles that move throughout my day, but this is like the biggest thing that helped me. I learned how to say no. I was a people pleaser. I would say yes to everything because I wanted people not to be mad at me. And I used to say yes, because I was like, Oh, I have to be the best. I have to do everything. I have to say yes. Now, Yo, it's hard for me to say yes, unless it is something that I really am looking forward to doing. Like that has helped me so much get in touch with myself. Yeah, I've started being able to do that with emails. Tell <laughs> emails. me, what do you mean? What do you mean? So basically now, with it, I'm just totally brutal with them. I do not even look at an email for more than two seconds. When it hits my inbox, I have this... Literally, I will look at it and I'll be like, fuck that shit. And I just delete it. <laughs> and it doesn't matter if it's marketing or if it's from someone who is demanding I respond to something. Because I'm just like, if it doesn't need a response. I had an ex-girlfriend who, uh, from New York, actually. And um, I remember I, I shadowed her at work one day. We were in the same industry. And I noticed the way that she used email. See, when email first came out, way back when we were when we were kids um it was just a messaging system and and it kind of grew over the years into this thing where people have to say dear erin i hope you're well i hope your family are doing great i hope your dog is having a great time with whatever it is your dog does every single day we had a great time over the summer and, and it's like fucking war and peace it's like no just get to the damn point would you already and what she used to do is like clients would email her blah 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 and she would just email back like literally she would never use more than i think half a dozen words is the longest I email i ever saw her write to anybody and and that's one thing the only thing from that relationship i've taken with me to this day is that my answers generally are getting shorter and shorter if they're well, lucky to even get an answer from me now, I, you know, I just look at something. And I'm just like, you know, there's something in my head now that processes it. And it's like, is it something I need to deal with, which means it needs more time later? Mm-hmm. Is it bullshit? In which case, press the delete button. Is it something that just needs a one or two word answer? Without Well, my friend and I always say like, and she knows this about me, like, I cannot stand when people talk in paragraphs, like if they're trying to explain something or send an email in paragraphs, like give me bullet points. Like what, what are they? Like, even when, when people are like my clients, like I train them, I'm like, let's get right to the point. Like bullet points it to me. Like, what do you really have to say? Because people are so used to giving you like their personal story and their background. When you got time for that, let's figure out what the problem is and let's solve it. Right. So Yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm starting to to really be brutal with emails and stuff like that. LinkedIn requests is the other one. <laughs> oh, I don't even look at it. I see it coming in. I'm just like, okay, I'm not going to look at that. I, I I love hitting that X button, you know, especially when someone starts something off and it's so obvious that they've they've done no homework on me whatsoever. Um, you know, it, they're they're just trying to sell me shit, and I don't mind people selling me stuff because at the end of the day, that's what we're all doing, right? But um, but yeah, when they when they when they've just put no time or effort into it, I'm just like, look, seriously, dude. So I'm kind of, I guess, what I'm trying to say is, as I get used to doing that to my screen, 
then I will get better at doing that in real life to people as well. The problem with us folk over here, I find when I worked in America, I found you guys to be a lot more, it was easier to be more direct with Americans, but then I don't know if I got away with it because I was British. But um, I used to have a great time in New York. And um, I feel like New Yorkers are direct. I feel like New Yorkers are very direct. It's like I went into, I remember I went into like a real estate firm and uh, this guy, like I I'd cold called him. I was out there. We were trying to launch a tailoring business out there for a previous company I worked for. And uh, so I got an appointment with someone and I went into his office and, and he was showing me like first because it was the hospital, hospitable thing to do because we were visiting from London, right? So he takes me around his office, shows me the place, and then he shows me Sixth Avenue from the window and he's te- pointing out all the deals that he'd done. Like I was responsible for that building. I was responsible for that and mm-hmm. so on. And then he was like, right, now let's go down to business, get down to business. If we're going to do this, let's do it properly. So let's start with four suits. I want like, let's do 12 shirts. Uh, let's do a couple of sport coats. Let's do a couple pairs of pants to go with each one. And I'm just frantically kind of writing this list down. And I'm like, fuck me. I've just done a week's worth of business in like an appointment. Yeah. Over here, it's not like that. Oh, it's not? It's not. You know, the fuck, honestly, Aaron, the conversations you have to get into to eventually get to the point of why you're actually there because British people are so polite. I have this inner conflict because I was born here in London, but I have Asian Mediterranean ancestry. And so all of these things just, you know, as much as I think I'm a nice person, I've God, I do talk a lot. Um, I, yeah, really, when it comes down to things that are businessy and so on, I'm just like, look, just get to the point seriously. That's how I am. I'm a a get to the point person too, though. Like I am. I'm just like, like when people in like stores or want to, Pitch me something like, no, what are you selling? Like, just tell me. Like, I, I don't need a lot of like massaging. Like, I just, yeah. I'm a very direct person. That's just my personality. Yeah. Though. I don't sell in that way. When I'm taking through people through options, I try to educate them and I try to tell them what I'm thinking and the reasons why and steer them around. And if I genuinely think something's not for them, although when they do pick things out and they're like, do you think this will look good to me? I'm just like, no. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Do you? Do you remember that film Hitch with Will Smith? Oh my gosh, yes. You, yes, yes. you remember that bit where Drew Carey's trying to do the kind of dance and and uh, Will Smith just slaps him across the face very pointedly and it's like, don't ever do that again. Yeah, yes. that's me. Um, I'm like, don't don't ever point to that colour again. Like, it's, well, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm here to make you look good, not dress like a fucking idiot. Well, that's the same thing with my clients. Like in my life, I'm direct when people conversate with me, but with my clients, like I do support them and educate them. But also like when they try to do something, I'm just, I'm like, why? Like, what are you doing? Like, tell me why, like, why does that make sense for you right now? You know? So So what's, what's the future? Where are you at right now? Are you at a place where you're kind of happy where it's going at the moment? Or, you know, have you got grander plans? I'm happy with where it is going. I feel very clear. And that's nice. And my and my revenue is at a really good place. So those are two good things. And I'm working with clients that I feel connected to. That's really good. So where am I going? I want I want to I want it to be a million dollar company. I do. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to achieve. And then I want to start a nonprofit where I get to help those who can't afford services 
um, in the dance field, whether it's students or adults, mm -hmm. I, I want to build out some kind of nonprofit to support them. So that's the future. Um, babies and a nanny to help me raise those babies while I build this fucking empire. Awesome. Go boss. <laughs> yeah. So my funny, because uh, my goal is kind of similar. So I, I have a goal to get to a million turnover. Um, we built this whole smart casual business during the pandemic because people obviously weren't wearing suits because they were all stuck at home wearing stupid shit like jogging pants and whatever. Mm. Um, and so I was like, I can either do nothing, which most of my peers were doing, or, and wait for suits to come back or work out what these guys are wearing and see if we've got the resource within our supply chains to actually make this stuff because we have their measurements. And one thing guys hate doing is shopping. So, um, so that's what we did. So we have this whole smart casual business that's probably now worth about 200, 250,000 a year. And then our normal suit business in a normal year is worth half a million. Right. So, but I didn't have the smart casual business. So if there's one thing to thank COVID for, it's that. Mm -hmm. And so when our suit business comes back, suddenly we're a lot closer to that million bucks a year turnover than we ever have been before. So that's really exciting. But what the reason I want to get there is because that will then enable me to start to hire more people to start mm -hmm. supporting the business. And it will free up more of my time because what I'm really, really wanted to do, the one thing that breaks my heart is when I see homeless people, also animals, but that's a different podcast because uh, we've rescued three. Um, but talking about the human side of things for the moment and how it ties into tailoring as as you've um alluded to with you know people who can't afford courses that are in that dance space when i see homeless people it scares the shit out of me because i think that could be me at any moment it could be any of us at any moment and it gives me more appreciation for what i have and what i'm able to do but my heart breaks for those people and, you know, in London, and I know it's the same in Manhattan as well, like people walk past those people that are on the street and they're, you know, they're like, they're losers and they're drug addicts and don't give them any money and so on. I had someone the other day in Common Garden and uh, just down the road from Piccadilly Circus, your favorite place. And, um, you know, he, he, was, he was just politely asking for help and people were just ignoring him, which is the normal thing. And I, I just couldn't. And, but I didn't have any cash on me because people don't really have cash these days. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, 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 I approached him and I said, are you okay? I said, you know, what can I do to help? And he said, and I said, can I get you some food? Or, and he said, no, I've already got some food because someone else bought me some food earlier. But I, I really, I'm just trying to raise enough money. Wait, I'm going to turn off my camera. Let's turn off our cameras because sometimes the internet is better if we turn off our camera. Okay. Uh, I'll do that stop video okay can you still hear me yes yeah okay cool um so where did i get to you said that he said no i have food somebody gave me food yeah yeah that's it so he said i was just trying to raise like 20 you know 20 bucks to get a room for the night in a hostel but to him i don't have cash. i will go to a, a cash machine atm and and I'll be back. And so I had to walk a long ass way to get, get to find a, a damn ATM, which is really weird in the center of London. Um, but I did. And I just thought, do you know what? Because I just had a good morning 
sales-wise that morning. And so I just withdrew enough for three nights for him. And I walked back and the so he was, again, doing his thing, trying to get people's attention and he had his back to me. And I walked up to him and I said, excuse me, sir. And he turned around and Aaron, honestly, my heart just broke. And he, the look on his face, he had tears in his eyes. He was joyful. And, um, and I, I said to him, I'm really sorry. It just took ages for me to find an ATM, but he, I hope this helps. Just promise me you're wow. not going to go spend it on drugs. Um, and he hugged me and he was like, you're, you're the only person apart from the woman that bought me breakfast earlier that has treated me with any respect. And he said, I, no one has called me sir for such a long time. And I didn't, I didn't do it so that, I mean, I didn't really tell anybody about it, honestly. I, I obviously told my wife about it, but you're the first person I've told about it. And um, I, I didn't do it for recognition or anything. I just quietly went on my way afterwards after wishing him well. But um, I, I, it just got me thinking about what I could do to, to help these people. And um, we get a lot of clients who who throw clothing away or give it to Goodwill or whatever. And, you know, I just, I just, uh, I, w- I want to be able to afford to A, give the time, but also B, be able to have a space where people can donate the clothes that they don't need anymore, particularly the smart stuff like their suits and going out sport coats and that sort of stuff. And then we can just have a system here in London. And I know that they do it in places like New York and so on. Uh, and maybe other parts of this country, but there's no one doing it on a bigger scale where people who are less fortunate can come in and not just take these clothes for free, but can actually have someone like me tailor them to them. So that when they walk out, they feel like kings and queens because everybody deserves to. Um, And then they can go out into the job market and so on and go for interviews and things with confidence. And... So, so that's what I want to do. Um, and that's why, yeah, I've just actually just having this conversation with you have just crystallized that goal, which is awesome. So now I'm going to start trying out the path to get there. So, yeah. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. I love that. I think that's beautiful. And I love the fact that you not only want to give them the clothes, but you want to tailor it to help mm. them feel, to help them feel worthy. Like that's such a beautiful gift. Yeah. I, I think that's beautiful. So we could be, because we've got a similar target, so we could be goal buddies. Yeah, we can totally be goal buddies. I'm not playing. You're so cool, Roberto. I love it. You're really cool and down to earth, and um, you have a really special energy about you. Oh, thank you. So, yeah, look, you need to get you need to get back to, to your family. I've just seen a picture of your dog, by the way. Oh, my God. Gorgeous. <laughs> thank you. She's a crazy lady. She's crazy. Yeah, so gorgeous. So, yeah, so you need to get back to hubby and Chloe. Um, so thank you so much. Where can our listeners find you online? Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This was a great conversation. They could head over to Instagram at Erin Pride. Um, you can find everything there. And the podcast is the Dance Boss Podcast. Erin, listen, thank you so much. I've had such a wonderful time. This has just been enriching. And I feel like I've made a, a new friend. I'm looking. I'm really excited to have a gold buddy as well, because again, we're just so similar in kind of our approaches to things, and we're seems like we're trying to head in the same sort of direction. So it can be quite lonely when you're an entrepreneur, and although you do have the support of close friends and family and so on, there's there's still 
a little bit of distance from everybody else where you kind of feel like you're you're just steering your own ship so it's kind of nice to have people that you can kind of uh, bounce things off and have keep you accountable from time to time as well absolutely and i look forward to that too i agree with you it's it's good to build like a network and a community of your kind of people in the online space because it does get lonely because everybody yeah. like our friends and our family don't all understand and that's okay we just have to find our tribe of people who do exactly and i think you're definitely my tribe erin thank you again i think we've got another episode in us don't we at some point yes we definitely do yes we have to yes yes we do i agree awesome brilliant brilliant erin thank you so much take care thank you thank you robert Wasn't Erin an absolutely fantastic guest to have on the show? We covered everything from tailoring to entrepreneurship. You got some business tips. And uh, yeah, it was just fantastic just to spend an hour and a bit in her company. And I hope you agree. That's it for another week. As always, if you're liking the show, please give us some feedback in the form of a rating and a review if your podcast platform allows. It really helps new listeners to find the show, helps us to grow, and who knows, you might just encourage a new listener who may really need us at this time in their life. Also remember, sharing is caring and Tailoring Talk is a show where my guests and I share stories with a goal to help people and make the world a better place. So do share us with your family, friends and colleagues. Take care, be good to each other and I can't wait for you to join me on the next one.